Hello, smilers. Hello, all of the amazing women and men that follow me on social media. Welcome to Talk, Laugh, Cry. I have been so blessed and so grateful to have been really busy setting up my online business. And because of that, I've been doing my podcast a little less, but I am never going to stop. And the reason why I say that is because it is necessary for people to hear the things I've been through because right now God is blessing me and people might see that and think it came easy or it came natural, but that's not the case. So welcome to Talk, Laugh, Cry with yours truly, Felicia Lord. Talk, Laugh, Cry. The acronym is TLC. So yes, guys, I want to talk about postpartum depression on this episode of Talk, Laugh, Cry. And the reason why I want to talk about postpartum depression is because, first of all, I didn't even know that I was experiencing postpartum depression. I always thought postpartum depression had a particular look, a particular feel, Um, you know, people act a certain way and whatnot, not realizing that there are many different ways that postpartum depression affects women. And, you know, I figure if I share my story, somebody might be able to take away something from it that could help them either discover that they're going through postpartum depression or help them heal from the fact that they were going through postpartum depression. So yeah, that's what I want to talk about today on Talk, Laugh, Cry. (laughs) All right. um, I have a lot of energy, child, because I'm taking my Nutriburst, my NRG, and my CBDT and I am feeling amazing. And that's kind of one of the delays in doing my podcast because I'm feeling so good now. You know what I mean? My depression isn't gone, but it's being managed by the vitamins I'm taking. So my de- I feel so good that it's hard for me to sit down and talk about the rougher times of my struggles. You know what I mean? Um, But in the same breath, I need to do that because I need women to understand that when you go through certain things, there is an end to it. There is another side to it. You're going to come out on the other side. You have to come out on the other side, but you have to choose to come out on the other side. So I gave birth to my daughter back in 2011, August 18, 2011. And Now, before I gave birth, you know, of course, we're all pregnant. I was pregnant full term, full term for, what is that, nine months. And within the nine months I was pregnant, can I tell you that it was the height of my career in Jamaica? When I said the height of my career, I mean, I was on radio, I was on TV, I was on stage, I was on tour, I was on music video sets being being the talent and the producer. I was also like I had an acting workshop called Small Stage. I had I had so many things going on. I was touring Canada, London, um, Antigua, Guyana, like everywhere, America. You know, I was really busy and really settling into my career and doing amazing things as a young woman. Like I was in my early 20s, early to mid 20s, you know, 
So I was doing all of that. And that is who I know. That is the person I connected with. That was my, I was my own success story to me, you know, being born and raised in a situation where money was not something my family had, you know, coming from Bay Farm Road, sleeping in a one bedroom, um, mother, you know, having to bring my, my little lunch where she cook, care come a primary school, come give me for eat, you know, like I was my success story to myself because I would be driving while, you know, in Jamaica, I would be driving and I remember looking up on a billboard and seeing my face for the ocean spray campaign, um, you know, and just hearing people call me on the street and tell me how much they admire me and take pictures with me. And I was like, wow, you know, like I'm actually doing this in my country. I was very proud of myself. And I didn't know that all this time I was doing those things. I was overcompensating for something else, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about postpartum depression. So at that time where my entire career was high and big, I got pregnant and I had had, let me see, I had, um, two abortions before I got pregnant with Africa. I had one at age 18 and I had one two years prior to getting pregnant with Africa. So when I got pregnant, even though my career was like going crazy and it was going good, there was something inside of me that didn't want to have another abortion. You know, like I, I said to myself, man, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know what I'm going to do, but actually, no, that's a lie. I'm, I wanted to have an abortion. I made the appointment actually to have the abortion. And I realized three days, no, two days before the abortion, I got really sad and I kept crying and I couldn't figure out why. And then something said to, something said to me, do you really want to have an abortion? Do you're almost, you're almost 30. You've always said that you wanted to have your child before you were 30. And you know, you're about to be 29. Do you really want to have an abortion? And, and this would be my third abortion. So then that psychological thing came into me and said, what if you have another abortion? And then later on in life, you can't have another child because you had three abortions you know, and the, the second abortion I had was pretty intense. So I said to myself, well, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You know, I'm, I'm used to being on my own. I am, you know, back then I was very stubborn and my career meant more to me than anything and anybody. And so I, I don't know. I kept crying. Every time I thought about having the abortion, I would get sad every time, like throughout the course of the day, two days leading up to the appointment. Every time it crossed my mind, I would get really, really sad. And then one day, um, the day when I'm supposed to get the abortion, I woke up and something said, you know something, I'm not having this abortion. I'm going to keep my baby. I'm going to keep my baby. And I called and I canceled the appointment. And can I tell you the moment I canceled the appointment, Jesus, it's like a weight was lifted off my shoulder. I was so excited because I was like, yo, I couldn't cry anymore. I felt good. It's almost like God was saying to me, yes, girl, that's the, that's the decision you're supposed to make. You know what I mean? So I was just 
so excited. I was going to be a mama and I didn't know what to do, but in my head, I was going to have my mom to show me and I was making money. So I didn't care, you know, about money and stuff like that because I was making really good money, like really good money. Like I would to shoot. Oh, I was even doing Mega Mart shopping show. And to, when I was doing Mega Mart shopping show, I would go shoot the episode and it took me like two hours to shoot the episode and I would get 250,000 Jamaican dollars to work for two hours. So every two weeks I would shoot an episode of Mega Marks, which means I was getting $250,000 every two weeks to shoot Mega Mart. And that has nothing to do with the money from radio, with the money from the plays and the tours and all that stuff. I was making really good money. I didn't do anything sensible with it. <laughs> I didn't save any of it because I was young, irresponsible, and didn't have anybody to show me what to do, but I was making money. So I wasn't worried about money. I was like, yeah, I'm going to have my daughter. And yeah, I already had decided it was going to be a daughter. The moment I knew I was pregnant, I begged God to give me a little girl. And I asked him to give me a little girl mainly because... I had issues with men in my brain. I had it that all men were dogs. All men are awful. My step, my stepfather is awful. My biological father is awful. I just had this thing against men. So in my head, I didn't want a male in my body. I didn't want to carry a male child. That's how disturbing I was in my brain. So I knew that I wanted her to be a little girl. So I, one night I dreamt her, I saw her face, I saw her hair. I knew she was going to be born with a full head of hair. I knew that when she was born, she was going to open her eyes right away. And all of that actually happened. I had a dream about her. I knew about her. I gave her her name two years before I even got pregnant. I knew my daughter. I knew I was going to have a daughter and I knew her name was going to be Africa. I knew she was going to be something amazing. And I begged God when I found out I was pregnant that it's a girl. And I got a girl. So anyway, fast forward to my entire pregnancy was extremely healthy. The only problem I had was I would be low on iron. And what I would do with that is that my doctor gave me some, some iron um, supplements and they taste like chocolate. You just chew them up because she knows them and don't take pill. I'm going to never take a pill. So she gave me iron supplements that were like chewables, chocolate chewables. So that's the only issue I could say I had, but otherwise I had a perfectly good pregnancy. So then now, um, I, throughout my pregnancy, you know, I was, I'm a green card holder, right? So I'm not a citizen and I'm not a citizen because I'm just lazy and just have not filed for citizenship. I've had my green card since I was maybe 20 or 19, 19. Yeah. So it's just laziness why I haven't gotten my citizenship. So all this time I was in Jamaica working, um, I was risking my green card because if, if you, anybody listening that have a green card and you know that you're supposed to be in America, if you have a green card, you can't stay outside of America for more than six months. So me being in Jamaica working and doing all those things, um, in entertainment was very risky. So when I, you know, once I found out that I was pregnant, I was like, okay, there's no way I can have this baby in Jamaica. It's going to create too much complications with paperwork. So that's when I decided to come back to America to have the baby, but I worked 
pregnant straight up until I was eight months. Now, I was really skinny when I got pregnant. And even throughout my pregnancy, I was still pretty skinny. So me being eight months pregnant, I looked like I was like five, six months pregnant. So when I was coming through the airport to come back to America, the you know, um, immigration didn't bother me or anything. As a matter of fact, they were like, oh, your belly's so cute and little. And I was like, yeah, I know. Thank you. And they were like, welcome home. I was like, thanks. So <laughs> I went to Florida because that my mom had a friend living in Florida and that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be somewhere sunny and nice and with a beach, you know, remind me of Jamaica. So I stayed at my mom's friend's house. Her daughter actually was a, a doctor at um, St. Mary's Hospital in West Palm Beach. So that's actually where I ended up giving birth, which was amazing, by the way. Um, so yeah, you know, I, everything just, everything was seemed normal. Everything seemed fine. There was, there was nothing, you know, I, I don't remember being sad at all. Um, yeah, me and, um, the father of my child, I, I honestly, to be honest, to be quite frank with you, when I was pregnant, I wasn't quite sure who the father was because I was dating somebody for an entire year and within dating that person, we were trying to have a baby but I found out he cheated on me, so I got upset and did something stupid by going and cheating back on him with an ex-boyfriend that I had. And we did it unprotected because um, I was nice and drunk and didn't care. And when I did that, you know, uh, a few weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. So in my head, you couldn't tell me nothing. Like in my head, it's the person that I've been with for a year. I mean, there's no way you're going to think that, oh, um, you're, you're having sex with someone for a whole year and then you cheat on them one time and that's the time you get pregnant, right? <laughs> the irony. So kill me dead. I, I thought it was the person I was dating for a year, um, but it didn't turn out that way. So in regards to like, you know, the father participating and all that stuff. I had early on, early on in my pregnancy, I had distant myself from both people. The one I was dating for a year and the one I slept with one night. I had distanced myself. It's, I don't know. It's like as soon as I got pregnant and I found out I was pregnant and I found out I was going to keep the baby, I didn't want to have sex no more. Uh, psychologically, I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's when the postpartum started when I didn't even know because... After I found out I was pregnant, I immediately did not want to have sex with anybody ever again. Uh, <laughs> like I told myself, I was like, no, I'm keeping the area clean. <laughs> so when my daughter is coming out, she comes out in a nice environment out of my lovely clean vagina. <laughs> so that was the mindset I have. So I had kind of just pushed everybody away. I pushed the guy I was dating away. I broke off with him. And I pushed the, my, my ex-boyfriend that I had the one night stand with, I pushed him away as well. And I was by myself and I didn't mind it because I had money. Right. And I didn't even see the relevance of them being in my presence because they just didn't seem have any purpose to me. I didn't, I didn't know the value of having a man help me with anything because I've always seen my mother do everything by herself and I've always done everything by myself too. So not having a man to go through the whole pregnancy thing with didn't seem like a big deal to me. It didn't bother me at all. Actually, it was fun because like I said, 
I was doing my job. I was being an entertainer and I was making money. So like on a Sunday, I would go have brunch at Pegasus by myself, you know, and then I would go to the spa. So it didn't bother me. But the moment I gave birth, child, the moment I was in that hospital and my mother was with me and I was giving birth and I saw they have this, the room I was in, it had a, a, a bed, like a, they call it the fiance, the, the fiance bed, right? That's where your husband or boyfriend or whatever would sleep next to the bed that you have. And you have your private bathroom and so on. That is when I think it started to kick in that it would be nice to have the man that helped me to make the child um, be there to support me. But as I said, I didn't know whose child it was, child. I wasn't sure. <laughs> I wasn't sure who was the daddy. So I knew that when she was born, when she, when she come, I, I knew that when she come into the earth, come on earth, her face would tell me who her dad is. And it sure did. <laughs> the moment I saw her, um, the doctor pulled her out of my vajayjay and hold her up in front of me. And then she opened her eyes, just like my dream said. She opened her eyes wide as soon as she come out of me. And her head full of hair. Her head did just, her hair did just thick and black enough. And I looked at her and I was like, yup, I know who your dad is. <laughs> and you know, it's funny because I didn't want the dad to be any of the two people. But the one that it ended up being, I think, was the worst of the two. Um, because he completely was MIA, which I completely understand. But then I don't understand at the same time because it's like, me never want there with him. I don't, I don't want you. It ended, oh, by the way, it ended up being the person I had the one night stand with. Um, so it's like, in my head, I'm like, I don't want you. I don't want a relationship with you, but you can, you know, have a relationship with your daughter. But he was the kind of guy where it's like, in a theme head, he thinks if he has a child with me, then we should be together and raise the child together. And I'm like, no, that's not what I want. But that doesn't give any man an excuse not to be there for their child. So anyway, this is not about him. So after my daughter was born, I had this thing that, that, that clicked inside of me. And it clicks so strongly where it's like I got immensely overprotective. Like I became, oh, I'm trying to find words to give you guys an idea. Like there was one evening where one night where she was crying and I needed to shower. Like I, I needed to shower. I needed to sleep. I needed to take care of myself. My mom said to me, Felicia, let me give me the baby and go take a shower and relax and I was like no she's my baby she's my responsibility and I remember walking around the room and just having her over my shoulder and trying to get her to stop crying and stuff and yo let me tell you this man I started falling asleep while putting her to sleep on my shoulder walking around the room. I damn near almost fell and dropped my baby. I didn't realize in that moment that I was experiencing postpartum depression. 
But my postpartum depression, I've heard other women talk about their postpartum depression where it's like they didn't want to have anything to do with the baby. They they distanced themselves from the baby. They 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 were in this constant state of depression and they didn't want to have anything to do with the father or the baby. They didn't they wasn't getting any kind of connection with the baby. Mine was the opposite. I was overly connected to my baby to the point where it was hurting her and me because I didn't want anybody to help me. I didn't want anybody to show me anything or assist me. I felt like she was mine. She was my responsibility. Make it worse. Her father wasn't a part of it. So then I felt like I needed to be her father and her mother and her everything. And I just threw myself into her. I threw myself into her. I made my life all about her to the point where I just completely neglected myself. But I didn't think I was doing that. I thought I was just being a good mother by giving her everything she needs, including myself and neglecting myself. So I remember experiencing something where it's like, I just thought I was being a bomb ass mom, but I did realize that I would eat a little bit more than I normally do, but I didn't, I didn't know that I was comfort eating. You know what I'm saying? I didn't realize I was stress eating. I just thought that I'm eating whenever I can because when Africa is asleep, I need to be washing her clothes. And when she's not asleep, I need to be feeding her and bathing her and getting her ready and burping her. And then after she finished and she go back to sleep, then I got to clean up the house and then make some food. And then I got to because I took everything on myself. I allowed no one to help me. And that within itself is actually postpartum depression because somebody who is not going through postpartum depression and is healthy mentally is going to understand that it's okay for someone to help you. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to allow your environment to assist you in what you're doing and not feel the need to do it by yourself. So yeah, man. That was my version of postpartum depression. And it went from that. And then, so I didn't know I was experiencing postpartum depression. So then it went from that to um, me getting married and then going through the domestic violence I went through with my ex-husband and then going through the divorce. And then in during the divorce is when I'm finding out my daughter, who I'm very overprotective with, has autism. So then I'm like, what the fuck did I do wrong? You know what I mean? Like, how do you end up with autism? I did everything right. I I ate properly. I did everything I was supposed to do. I took care of my body. I took care of myself. And I started blaming myself for the autism. And I started getting upset at myself. And then that's when I started really self-sabotaging myself and then making it more about her. So that, you know what I did? Whatever little percentage of me I had left for me, I took it and completely put it into my daughter. Because at this point, not only was I psychologically hung up on the fact that she doesn't have a father figure, right? Not only was I hung up on the fact that she's mine and I need to take care of her. Now it's like she has autism. So now I need to become this super mommy that can make sure she can talk. Cause she couldn't talk. 
I got to make sure she has her fine motor skills. I got to make sure she knows how to button her button and, 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 and eat properly. And so I, I completely gave up on myself completely, like completely to the point where I'm now talking about this with you guys. And I'm looking back and I'm like, damn, man. Like I really, really, really lost myself like in a deep way, you know? And, and I thought that, um, I thought that's how you were supposed to love your child. I really thought that that's how you're supposed to love your child. But the more I go to therapy and the more I learn things about, um, you know, just being a mom and a good parent, you got to take care of yourself. You know, like if you don't take care of yourself, then you won't even be well enough mentally and physically to take care of the children that you love so much. So you got to make time for yourself. You got to eat properly. You got to take showers. You got to listen to your favorite music. You got to dance by yourself sometimes. You got to buy yourself something nice, you know, because you work really hard and you make sure your kids have everything. So you should treat yourself to something. I didn't know that those things were a necessary requirement of being a good mom. I thought being a good mom was just doing everything for your child even if it means that you're hurting yourself. But I'm here to tell you on the other side of it, because I'm now on the other side of it, I can tell you, hey, make some time for yourself. If you can't afford a pedicure, then go to the dollar store and buy yourself one of those things that you can scrub the bottom of your feet with. And when you're in the bathroom taking a shower, take a little bit of a longer shower. So that way, the bottom of your feet will get soft and you can use the little thing, stone thing, and scrub the bottom of your feet. And you'd be surprised what doing that does for you. Just that little moment in the shower where you're able to do something nice for yourself and you don't have to spend money to do it. So I'm here to tell you, man, postpartum depression is real, first of all. Two, you could be experiencing it and not realize because in your head, you're trying to be a good mom, which means you throw yourself into your kids. But being a good mom is finding the balance between being there for your kids and being there for yourself. Because if you are depressed, unhappy, unhealthy, then your children are going to feel it. They're going to sense it and it's going to bother and disturb them and disturb their development. They need to see their mom healthy. They need to see their mom happy. They need to see their mom progressing because you are the example that they're going to follow. And to be unhappy and not taking care of yourself is not what you want them to follow. You got to let them see that this is mommy time. Okay, sweetie, mommy's going to go relax. Mommy's going to take a break. This is mommy's alone time. You understand? It will also teach them some boundaries too. It will teach them things that they need to do for themselves. 
they'll be able when they get older, they'll know that, you know what? I need some alone time so I can recharge and reset my batteries. You know what I'm saying? Instead of telling your kids what to do, be what you want them to be. You have to become what you want them to be. And I learned that firsthand, firsthand. So yeah. <laughs> See, this is why doing the podcast now is a little different, difficult because I am so happy right now. You know, I've, I've been able for the past 17 days, I've been able to take my Nutriburst, my CBDT and my NRG. And I'm, by doing that, I'm self-caring and it's spreading throughout my household. My daughter realizes I have more energy to interact with her and dance and be silly mommy. My boyfriend is able to get a woman he's never even met because he met me when I was depressed and, and, and not taking care of myself. And now he's looking at me. You can even tell his attraction level is like multiplying because he's looking at me and he's like, wow, I, you know, she's, she's taking care of herself and she's evolving. So me taking care of myself is also taking care of them because they're getting the better version of me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy I was able to share that with you guys. And of course, as usual, if you can relate, inbox me. Um, hopefully, you know, you guys are being safe. And once this coronavirus thing foolishness ends um, for my birthday, I want to be able to do a talk, laugh, cry live, one in New York and one in Jamaica. So make sure you inbox me if you want to be a part of my mailing list. So that way I can let you guys know because, um, you know, I definitely would prefer to have my audience be the people who already have been listening to my podcast and already can connect to the things that I have to talk about. So when I do the live version, it benefits you guys. So I love you so much. Thank you for tuning in. I will make sure there's another podcast ready next week, Monday. I love you very much. And uh, yeah, smile, even if you don't feel like it. You've been listening to Felicia Lord right here on Talk, Laugh, Cry.